Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Thanks, everyone. Have a seat. Thank you, team, for leading us. And uh, uh, so good to be together. Hey, if, if you walked in a little bit after the welcome, uh, I just want to take a minute and just say again, you know, Peter mentioned it so well, but I want to say Merry Christmas. And, and it feels weird, maybe. You're like, Merry Christmas. Like, what are you talking about? Well, many Christians around the world, especially you're part of the Orthodox Church uh, and different parts of Africa, are celebrating Christmas today. And it's just a reminder for us that the church is a global family. And uh, our Western calendar of Happy New Year doesn't work that way. It doesn't impact the whole church. And I think it's a good reminder for us that we're part of something bigger than just like our hangout time in Laval. You know, it's not just like we had nothing to do today and we just showed up at church. We're actually part of this bigger family in the world, people who are learning to love Jesus and follow Jesus. And, and we're learning to do that in our context. And if you've lived in Quebec a little while, you know how hard it is to follow Jesus in this context how challenging it is to commit to be people who love God in a world that's kind of done with God or done with religion, done with the Bible, into all kinds of things. And so I want to just encourage you, you know, especially next week, I'm going to talk a little bit more next week on, on the vision of what it means that we as a church have a vision for why we believe God's called us here and it's connected to being planted in the ways of Jesus. So you want to just stick with us in this series. But as we begin this morning, I want you to think about what it means for you To, to decide that this year you're going to have Jesus as the center of your life and the way you live. It sounds really easy until you try to do it. I think that's why for a lot of people this year it's always easier to just make resolutions. Some people do that. You might do that. I might do that. I, I, I thought about that this week as I was praying and we were traveling and coming back. I thought like I want to make some resolutions that would bless our church. Like for example, one resolution I have for me is I want to become a better preacher. I want to become a, a better teacher of the Bible so that I can speak with honesty and grace and truth. That's so hard to do, by the way. It's easy to tell people the truth, and it's easy to kind of love people, but when you have to love people in truth and be honest and hold those together, that's hard to do. And if you don't believe me, you know what a conflict is like. When you have to say something to someone and they're not ready to hear that. And so I've prayed, like, I want some resolutions. Maybe you have resolutions. They're not just for yourself, but they're resolutions that as you're shaped in new ways, you bless other people. And those are fine. You might have some of those, you know, drink more water, get healthier. Any of you see all those tips? I was watching something, less toxic people, you know, in your life. Any of you see any of that stuff? I, I can never imagine Jesus saying that to any of us, by the way. It's just nonsense in our world. Like these resolutions that sound so great. And then you're like, would Jesus ever say get rid of toxic people? None of us would be around him. It's ridiculous. You know, but it sounds so great on a tweet, less toxic people. In fact, Jesus says, no, no, I'm going to teach you what it's like to be with people that you disagree with what it means to love those and forgive those that you don't get along with. So different than the world of resolutions, of positivity. But this morning, we're going to look at what it means that resolutions won't be enough for the things that God is calling us to. They just won't. 
Resolutions will not anchor you when your marriage starts to struggle. Resolutions won't be enough when you make decisions and there's conflict with your kids and your coworkers. They won't be enough. You're going to need a different way of life built on a firmer foundation. And the Bible invites us to make that foundation the teachings and the life and the way of Jesus. And we're going to help you with that. If you're new, maybe you're watching online, maybe like this is kind of brand new. You're like, how do, like what firm foundation, the teachings of a person, like how does that make any sense? We know. It's tricky. So we hope that you commit to being with us. And I know that every time we do this, the world is filled with shortcuts. I just want to be really, really honest. I saw something over the holidays. I took a picture of it. I told my wife, I'm like, you need to buy me this for Christmas. She did not buy it for me for Christmas, but I still have a picture of it. And I thought, how many people got this for Christmas? It's a picture. I took a picture of this, and, and it was interesting. It's called the Inspiration Cube. Any of you see this? No? Okay, none of you got it. Good. If you did, just bring it to me, and we could throw it in the garbage. But, I mean, there's all kinds of trinkets like this uh, of just, like, tips and inspiration blurps of preachers and teachers and influencers to just get you through life. And it's so easy to see this, and, like, I'm going to buy this and press the button whenever I want. God on your terms. If you want a week without God, you don't press the inspiration button. It's all good. If you're having a good week, no God. When you're having a bad week, inspiration number two. All right. And many people in the world, they learn about Christianity through these ideas. That somehow God is just like a tweet for you to have a better week, a better marriage, and then move on. And, and I have nothing against some preachers. Some preachers are a disaster, whatever. And, and I, I pray often for you. When you're like listening online, you're on the radio, I sometimes turn the radio on and I hear something, and I'm like, I hope people from our church are not tuned into this right now because this is nonsense. But you have to develop a discernment of understanding the Bible and growing and understanding that when we are inspired by the Bible, we're learning the Bible through the story of the Bible. We're not just pulling out one little verse that we like that makes us feel great for the day and move on for when we need God the next day. This requires a vision of life that is us planted firmly on the ways of Jesus. And I want you to go back to the original slide. I want to just show you, this is important. When we were starting this series, I wanted to give us an image in our mind for what it means to be firmly planted in the way of Jesus. Because the Bible gives us a lot of images for this. And this morning, I'm going to give you one, and, and I use the word anchor. Next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about how the Bible uses the word of an anchor for what it means to be planted in the way of Jesus. But the Bible's filled with different images for what it means to be firmly planted in the teachings and the way of life that Jesus invites us into. And I want to begin by sharing a confession with you, that when I was really, really young, I never understood this idea. I always confused being firmly planted in my faith as being arrogant, I had this sense that to be firmly planted is to have certain convictions and to never listen to anyone else. This is very common when you learn the Bible. To be firm is to be firm on what you believe and never grow and never listen to anyone else. Just almost like a cult, a little bit like a cult. But the Bible teaches us about having a firm foundation and having a heart of humility. It's a very different thing. Humility is about being able to learn while we're planted in a rooted way, but we're always aware that we don't have the perspective on everything that we need to be firmly planted in the way of Jesus and open to how Jesus is going to stretch us. And if we don't do that carefully, firm foundation language often means arrogant, and for me, it means stubborn. You know anyone who's stubborn in your family? If they're here, just don't look right now. Just, just be like this. If you're married to someone and they squeeze your hand, maybe it's you. For me, it's me sometimes. Just stubborn. I, I, I grew up in a, in a world where stubborn meant strong. Stubborn meant, you know, I know what I want. To be a man, you got to be stubborn. And it's easy to read the Bible and find enough verses to connect firm 
with stubborn, but that is not the way of Jesus. Jesus offers us a firmness that requires humility. And we're going to look at that in this series. We're going to look at the different images that the Bible gives us for what it means for our lives to be firmly planted in Jesus, but to be open to how he's going to call us to see things from a new perspective. You know that everyone who says yes to Jesus has to learn this skill. His earliest followers are going to follow him for many, many days sometimes and be like, he just taught us that parable. What does that even mean? What what are we going to do with this guy? They have to be willing to just grow and learn and be stretched. And, And Jesus is going to do that to us this year, to you and to me. Because stubbornness is never a way of Jesus. And I had to learn what that meant, and and God provided good mentors in my life, one of those, my wife, uh, you know, to just help me realize, wait, am I being firm or am I being stubborn? Am I I being a person of conviction or am I being a person who's gentle and kind and still holds on to things with truth? How do we do that together? So as we do that this morning, I want to invite you into this idea, and I want to pick one image to begin the year with that I hope you remember, and it's the image of a cornerstone. This is one of the most beautiful biblical images of what it means to be firmly planted in the way of Jesus. And I want to talk about this image because it's an image we get in the Bible. It's an image for Jesus as a cornerstone. How many of you have ever heard the song Cornerstone? We sing it here sometimes. We're going to sing it in a little while. But I want to show you this image of a cornerstone because you often see it in a building today, but you don't really think about it. The Bible tells us that people who said yes to Jesus realized that Jesus would have to become the cornerstone for their lives. And the cornerstone is a very interesting part of architecture. Sometimes in buildings, they have a date on them, right, to tell you when this building started to be built. It was a reminder of faithfulness, not not even for the church or God. Any, Any business does this or any company does this. It's not primarily a Christian idea. But the cornerstone, one of the most important things about a cornerstone for a firm building is that it was placed first. This is an important idea for us this year because new beginnings are about, like, what are you going to do first? What's going to be the thing that sets and aligns everything else this year? What are you going to place first there? Because everything else you do will be a reference to that thing you put down first. It's a reference point. It's a cornerstone there. And it's a reference point that you always come back to when you begin to realize, hey, I'm drifting here, or I'm not sure, or I'm confused. You go back and say, hey, hey, we set this as a priority in our lives. For some of you this year, we'll get so busy and so overwhelming, and challenging, you will need to decide early on to say Jesus and his ways will be the cornerstone for us. It's going to set the parameters for how we make decisions. It's going to decide for the kinds of things we enroll our kids in. It's going to decide how we spend our money. And, and I'm, I'm, as a dad, I'm thinking about this all the time, even in my home. I think of our kids uh, at Christmas time. Some of them got presents. Some of them got money, you know, all this stuff. And gently I said, hey, you know, you got a lot of gifts and some money and it's great and you're working so how much of this is for the lord they looked at me like dad are you an alien (laughs) you know that moment kids are like what it's what am i what am i doing in that moment i'm just saying hey we we want a cornerstone and a reminder that there's a marker here by which we decide how we're going to spend our money how we're going to live how we're going to act and it's not just made up it's a marker And, and you might have other ones that you have in your home for some of you one of the most important things you will do this year is you will be in a bible study I know some of you have been at our church for seven years since the church started, and you've never been in a Bible study. People who are never in a Bible study often are tempted to buy the inspiration cube. One of my other New Year's resolutions is to be honest with you. It's true. 
that we have to commit to grow and to learn because trust me, the world is filled with all these things that are going to come our way and confuse us and all these different ideas. And the Bible says that those who set their hearts on being, having their lives built on Jesus had Jesus as their cornerstone. And everybody knew what that meant. It didn't mean that other things didn't kind of come around there, but there was a commitment and a day to say, you know what, this is going to be important. We need to go back to that. If you're not into Christianity or maybe you're listening to this and still brand new, for Christians, one of those moments that the cornerstone was a marker for was when they got baptized, right? For some of you, maybe you remember that moment. You remember like, I was so excited. I knew God was calling me. I was committed. I went in the water. I was nervous. I shared my story. And then life happened. And I got busy. And, but in my heart, I'm a Christian. In my heart, I, I believe in God, but I, I have life, things. This is a great year to say, well, what happened? when you made that decision. And there was this moment of like, this cornerstone is going to align everything. It's going to set the pace. It's going to remind me when I need to stop, the things I say yes to, the things I say no to. And whenever Jesus called people to this, he was helping them understand that he was inviting them into a bigger way of life. Some of the most beautiful things that God is going to do in your life and in my life this year will require that we commit to having his ways as a cornerstone. Because whenever, and I've said this before, you, you might want to write this down and remember this for the rest of your life. Whenever God calls us to better places, he first calls us to a deeper place. Just remember that image. Think of a big tree as well. Whenever a tree gets big and its branches go far, it means the root of the tree has gone deeper. And until we don't decide that we're going to have a deep way of life with Jesus, a deep commitment to learning the Bible, praying, growing, and just being invited into his way of life, all the good things that are out there are possible, but they come from a place that is unrooted, transient. Oh, next thing, I wasn't sure we did this. And next thing you know, I've experienced this. You're just overwhelmed with life. You're like, well, there's no joy. We lost kind of our connection to, where is this connected to? So the Bible says there's this moment where there's a cornerstone. Now, in the New Testament, the writer, Paul, he has this beautiful image, and I'm going to show it to you in a minute. He uses this image of a cornerstone, not just for a building, because that kind of makes sense. Like there's a cornerstone, you can see it right there. He uses this image for what it means that we as people have Jesus as our cornerstone. And let me just read it for you and you'll see it on the screen. See if you notice how special this is. He says, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles And the prophets, they're things that make up the foundation. But Jesus, Jesus himself, Jesus Christ himself, being the what? The chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I mean, I love this image for what it means that God says, when you think of a cornerstone, don't think of just a building. Just think about what it means to be people who together decide that our lives are going to have Jesus as our reference his teachings, his way of life. Some of those are clear. Some of those are not clear. And that when we do this, we become members of something bigger than just our resolutions, our t- what we want to do. Because I know, just like any of you, I have my own agenda, the things I want, the things I pray for, the things I hope God does. Uh, hashtag bless my life, God. Help me in my marriage, my finance. All those things are, are things we pray about. But Paul says, wait a second. All those things are connected to a cornerstone, which is this community called the household of God, which in a sense is the life of the church together. And it's a profound image that Paul gives to us here. 
It's a profound image for us to understand that the cornerstone is something that sets the pace for what it means that we all learn what it means to follow Jesus together. When you think of God fitting you together, fitting me together, it's this great image, right? Like it's this fitting in together of people. When people are fit together and knitted together, they're learning to trust God, to get along. This past year, I saw many of you learn this. I saw many of you trust Jesus and start to meet new people and realize either in a home group or a Bible study or praying together or learning to say, like, God is fitting people together. That didn't, I wouldn't really have connected that together. Right? I wasn't sure how God did that. But he's doing something special. When God starts to do this in our lives, you know what happens? We start to be open to meeting new people. This is one of the most basic things that since COVID has happened has become so challenging for many of us. Like meeting new people, I don't know if you found this, feels like hard work. Have you felt that? You're like, how many people, even just the idea of the holidays, you know, I was talking to someone briefly about like, you remember when Christmas was all alone? We're like, I can't wait to see everyone. And then you see everyone and you're like, let's do a bit of alone. Let's do that. Like you're just like being with people and, and trying to figure out like the relationships, the growth. It's a, like a lot of work. And the Bible says something so beautiful here that Jesus is doing something in fitting us together and teaching us what it means to be knit together as those who love him and have him as this cornerstone for for the shaping of this building. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write something down. And it's a word here that we see in the Bible that makes no sense in our culture. And I want to tell you about it. And it's the word to become a member. Okay? I don't know about you, but I try to go to the gym every so often and everybody's into memberships for the gym right now. Some of you are into that, and you should. Being healthy is important, okay? Memberships in our culture are built on things that we pay for. We pay for a membership, and when we're tired of the membership, what do we do? We stop paying for it. Membership language in our culture is built on what we like when we want it. If you've traveled and you've been somewhere with my wife, we were traveling, she said to me, babe, like, are we CAA members? I'm like, you better believe it get my card. What does that mean? It means I've paid for benefits to be a member to get certain perks as I travel. They're garbage, by the way. Anyway, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. CA people. All right. Great job. I'm just saying membership for us means I'm going to pay for something to get the benefits of something. And when I'm tired of those things, I'm going to stop paying and no longer get the benefits. Paul is saying you need to understand that the benefits of having Jesus as a cornerstone is you get to benefit for something you never paid for. You're going to benefit from what Jesus paid for because he's the cornerstone. When he's the cornerstone, you get to benefit from what it means to be a person whose life is built on his ways. And that means you don't just get to decide when you're willing to walk away. This year, many people will just like, I'm done. I hear it all the time. I'm done with church. I'm done with God. I'm, not, I'm like, it, it was never up to you to begin with. It's God who's fitting us together into this picture of a household, the language, of people who see themselves as belonging to something bigger, who benefit for something that Jesus did that we could never do. And because this Jesus is holding it all together, we want to see what Jesus will do with us, with our lives. You know, Jesus will fit you together and connect you with people that you do not like this year. He will do that. He will teach you what it means to long to see other people who you kind of didn't get along, you maybe need to forgive them, and to just say, God, teach me what it means to be fitted together here. Teach me what it means to kind of forgive, to love, to make room in my home for someone who's different. Paul knows this because the Christians in Ephesus are strangers and foreigners to the story. 
There are people who so, are so outside of the story of God, and they've always felt like outsiders. They're like, is God really going to work his magic to make us fit together? Is that going to really work? How is God going to do that? How is God going to fit all these strange people with weird, weird cultures and customs and languages? Is that going to fit them all together? Paul's like, yeah. God's going to fit this all together in this beautiful picture of hope and meaning, and this, he's building this firm kind of community of people who have Jesus as their what? Cornerstone. Jesus as the chief cornerstone who sets the, he sets the line. Whenever something's off, he's like, whoa, 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 keep it in track. And as I, that gets aligned, the, the, his ways are built on top of that, the apostles and the prophets. So we need to remember how important this is. In the next few weeks, you're going to hear about this at the 180. You're going to hear about dates coming up in the new year where we invite many of you to see yourselves as members or as ministry partners of our church. We ask you to do something that is so hard to do. We ask you to move from being attenders and spectators to being members and participants. It sounds great until you have to do it. You're like, that's so great. I hope you do that. I hope you commit to that. That's good. Tell me how it goes. This is not our idea, by the way. We didn't just invent this because we're like, we don't know what to do. We get it from the Bible. The image of being part of something and being accountable to something together to say, as I grow and as I learn to follow Jesus and as, as I build my life on him, Jesus is fitting us together with others and he's putting certain things together. And you know this, if you've ever built something and you start to fit things together, it's harder to push something down when it's built together this way. It's more firm. It has a certain way that it shapes us and it reminds us. And I, I hope this, this is something I, I'm praying for each of us, that each of us this year would develop a sensitivity for it to bother us when there's an empty seat next to us when we sit in church. Think about when you come here to think about God. I know that there's some people who should be here that you want to fit into this family, and they're not here. They're not here yet. You know, many of the people who are not here, they didn't decide at the beginning of 2023 to make a New Year's resolution not to come to church. Life just happened. I know people in 2022 who stopped coming to church. They didn't wake up and say, I can't wait to stop being part of a community so that God knits us together as our chief corn. They didn't decide that. Life decided. Pressures decided. Things happen. And over time, you're like, well, where's the, I need a chief cornerstone. Like, where's the cornerstone that's going to align this? Where's the marker that's going to tell me, no, 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 this is too important for me to ignore. Just a connection point from the beginning of the church people who came to the manger, people who understood that Jesus was more than just the Messiah of the Jewish people, they realized that if this Jesus is God, we will be called to worship him with all of our lives. And those who worshiped him began to do something that we still do thousands of years later. They gathered to worship him like we are doing right now. Together, and they realized, you and I are so different, but Jesus is knitting us together. Jesus is shaping something in us that's new and we could have never have imagined. And as he does this, he's making us stronger. You know, there's a group in the ancient world, and many of you know this, I, my, I have a PhD in history and I often think about history when I'm reading the Bible, the historical part of the Bible. But in the ancient world, one of the concerns that the emperors had was that people would start to hang out in communities. And we know that in the year, roughly the year 100, 110, it's about 50, 60 years since the letter of the Ephesians, after that. There's an emperor that decides that he's going to pass a law 
that groups over 150 people should not gather together anymore. And he passes this law. And it's so fascinating. We actually have a document of this. And how he decides this is so fascinating. It's actually an emperor who gets a a, a request from a governor. The governor's name is Pliny. And Pliny says to the emperor, hey, Mr. Emperor, calls him sire, your highness, right? Just real respect. He says, listen, there's been a lot of fires in our area. And you know what I think we should do? We should start a brigade of firefighters. Firefighters that will be you know, focused on whenever there's a fire in the ancient world, that they would be together and they would put out fires whenever there's fires in the ancient world. Now, fires is one of the most dangerous things in any culture where people cook with a fire, right? With our stoves, we don't think about that. But whenever you're making a fire all the time, like just think about us in the summer, right? All it takes is one hero to be like, I'm going to make a fire near a tree and like forest fires for like seven weeks, right? So think about the ancient world make a fire, Pliny sends a letter to the emperor. It says, Mr. Emperor, is it okay for us to start a group of people that would gather together as a community for the focus of helping us with fires? And this is what we're told. Sire, I would like you to consider whether you think a fire company of about 150 men ought not to be formed. Again, there will be no trouble in keeping an eye on a small body. This is the request. You can go to the slide. It might be up there or it's frozen. But this is the request. Emperor, Would it be okay for us to maybe gather 150 people to just be ready if there's another fire? How many of you, the emperor says yes? Yeah, smart emperor. Half of you, none of you. How many of you are not listening? (laughs) The emperor says no. The emperor says it would be so dangerous to get 150 people together who have the same mind, who then, who are not putting out fire, start to talk about politics. And then they decide that they're going to maybe revolt and take over the empire, and then we have a whole new problem. So the emperor says, instead, what we should do is just teach some people in the community to put out fires, and they can do that whenever there's a problem. That already in the ancient world, the emperors realized that one of the most dangerous things you can do is to let people gather together and decide that they're going to have a vision of what it means they can do when they're together. Now, here's the most profound thing I want to tell you, that all of the earliest Christians know that the emperor is afraid that all these firefighters who have the same vision and the same life might do something to ruin the power of the emperor. But nobody's ready for a group of 150, 250, 300, 400 Christians who have nothing in common, who are Greeks and Jews from all over the world to be brought together by God to do something more beautiful. See, the emperor didn't understand that you can get people together and they can do something bad. But what happens if God starts to bring people together and they start to do something good? What happens then? This is the, what it looks like when the earliest Christians begin to plant their lives on the firm foundation of having Jesus as their Lord. The image of what? Cornerstone. It's this cornerstone marker for you and for me that we would say this is going to be a priority for us this year. You're going to have so many decisions to make and you're going to be like, God, you know what? I decided that as we make this decision, we want to honor you. We want to ask people for wisdom. We want to pray. We want to look at the scriptures and see, does the Bible speak about this? We can do this together. Now, the Bible uses the cornerstone as a positive thing, and then Jesus one day will use the cornerstone as a negative thing. And I just want to show you that before I wrap up. That one day when Jesus is teaching, he's talking to these religious leaders, and one day he realizes that these religious leaders cannot stand that Jesus thinks of himself as this cornerstone. They, it bothers them. They're not sure. And so you know what Jesus does oftentimes when he's trying to get people's attention? He tells them a story. He tells them this parable. 
And he's going to keep telling parables. And the parable is a way to confuse and to draw people closer and to draw people away. He's going to do this countless times. And as he tells this parable, at the end of the parable, he says this, see if you can notice in the slide how Jesus shapes the cornerstone. Jesus looked directly at them, at these religious leaders, and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. Think about this for a second. That the Bible tells us that Jesus, as a firm foundation for our life, can be a cornerstone that's a positive thing. Something that's put there to keep things on track, to remind us that we can build our lives on him and we do this together. But now he says those who don't want Jesus as a cornerstone are going to get Jesus as a stumbling block. They're going to feel like for this cornerstone to be the most painful and annoying thing in their lives. He takes the same image and he uses a passage from the Old Testament in in the Psalms. And he says, what does it mean when God starts to build something and those who should want Jesus as the cornerstone reject him as the cornerstone? They reject him because they don't want to do what Jesus says. They don't want to change their ways. They don't want to start listening to a young rabbi, 33-year-old rabbi. we're, We're smarter than you. We have more experience than you. We're not listening to you. Jesus says the cornerstone either becomes something you build your life on or soon it becomes a stumbling block in your life. What a profound shift. We're like, wait a second. Like, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect for Jesus to say that his way of life either draws us closer to God or becomes something we have to continually ignore that moves us away from God. You see that when we follow Jesus, there's no neutrality. There's not like, I'm just going to hang out here and do some inspiration and tips. I have to decide whether I want Jesus to be the firm foundation and to have him as a cornerstone. For you and I this year, this is a great opportunity for us to say, Jesus, when we disobey you, the things you're calling us to will feel like a stumbling block. There's been times in my life where I've wanted to do certain things and I knew that God was saying, you know what, that's not the way of life I've called you to. If you make that decision, you will lack judgment for the things I taught you in the scriptures. Many of you this year will will pray this prayer. If you need a prayer, just say, God, teach me what it means to discern how to make decisions that honor you. Teach me how to make decisions so I can discern what it means that my kids and my family will see that in my life it mattered to me that you were the cornerstone of how we lived our lives. Teach me to do that. And as we do that, we realize that sometimes that's not always going to be easy. Culture easily teaches us. Jesus is like, oh, you know, just follow Jesus. He loves everybody and he does love us. But he loves us so much that he never leaves us the way he finds us. He actually calls us to being formed and to being changed. And sometimes the things he calls us to feel like now they're like a blockage. A cornerstone now is in the way. And you're like, oh my goodness, what do, I, what do I do now? How do I move this? And Jesus is like, there's a warning for those who did this in the Bible. These religious leaders who didn't want Jesus as a cornerstone. And they rejected him and his teachings. And now Jesus will become a stumbling block. And they will not be able to get through this. Now, as we wrap up, I want to just give you just one little thing to think about this week before next week. I'm not into giving people homework. I know many of you are already stressed. You're like, Pastor Dom, we have a lot of things. Our kids need lunches for school. Some of you are like, we haven't bought groceries, whatever. You have to do stuff. Maybe that's my problem. But we have all kinds of things we have to do. But I want to encourage you this week to do one simple thing, just as maybe a practice. I want you to consider reading just three chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. Okay? 
and you'll see it on the slide, Matthew chapter 5 to 7 is a section of one of the Gospels that's called the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? It's Matthew 5 to 7. And it's just three chapters. And the reason I just want you to begin with easy steps, that if you decide you're going to read the whole Bible this year, you'll get discouraged. If you decide I'm going to start Bible study, I'm on fire for the Lord, you'll do that for three hours. Okay? Just everybody tone it down. <laughs> and everything you see online, it's like, it's crazy. Are you going to read the whole Bible this year? Nobody's going to do that. You're going to read one book of the Bible. Just come to a Bible study. Right? So I want to just, simple. For some of you, this is going to be like just a great opportunity to hear Jesus talk about some of the most beautiful things that are the ways we, we kind of shape our lives and are firmly built on his teachings. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the sermon section of Matthew's Gospel. And if you, if you want to remember this, it's probably not a sermon that Jesus preached in one shot. But Matthew gives this to us in kind of a nice section. Three chapters. And in these chapters, Jesus deals with some of the most practical things that he invites his followers to think about. And he uses this image all the time when you read them. He's going to talk about the kingdom of God. He's going to talk about that the way he's calling his people to the life that they're building on is this new understanding of what Jesus is doing in his ministry. There's things about anger. If you have anger issues, oh, it's juicy. There's things about adultery. Resolutions don't help you with lust. There's things about greed and money. Ha, huh, none of us have those problems, but read it. There's all these things. And at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus even reframes what it means to live a blessed life. And we usually need that at the beginning of the year when the culture is trying to tell us what a blessed life looks like. It usually doesn't look like the way of Jesus, trust me. So just this week, just say, you know, God, I'm busy, there's a lot, but I'm going to read these chapters. And at the end of these chapters, you'll see what Jesus says about building your life on his teachings. And next week, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more. I want to give you a heads up to do that. Just to kind of give you a teaser, in one of the moments of this sermon, Jesus talks about something that has gripped my heart, maybe it's gripped your heart. He talks about worry. As a pastor, one of the most painful things is being with people who just see their lives through a filter of anxiety and worry. And it's so hard. Because you know when, when somebody's worried and is anxious, telling them don't be worried usually never helps them. Have you ever tried that? Don't worry. They're like, I'm more worried because you don't care that I'm worrying. Whatever. And Jesus talks about all these things. And at one point he talks about worrying. And some of you have maybe heard the passage and you've heard all these things he says and he uses like the images of birds and he says, you know, think of the birds in the air. And this is what he says. I just want to read this one section that he says. It's so beautiful. It says this. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? But seek first. Remember the cornerstone is the thing you put down first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his ways, his right ways, the righteous ways of God that only Jesus could have provided for. And all these things, all the other things you're thinking about shall be added to you. You know, when you read this, it kind of, I don't know about you, but this bothers me. It bothers me so much. You're telling a bunch of people, many of them who are poor, who are not sure where the next meal is going to come from, who are not sure where they're going to sleep, you're telling them to just not worry. You know what kind of nerve it takes to do that? Have you ever been around people who are just struggling? And they're like, okay, Jesus, what do we do now? Are you going to make a meal for our kids for tomorrow? She's like, don't worry. Don't worry about it. Just seek God first. This is so important. Because if you don't understand this, this kind of, it, it kind of hits us at a place that's like, why would Jesus do this? It's almost like you're, you're like tricking people to believe in something that tomorrow you're still going to be poor, bro. Why does Jesus say this? 
Why does he say people? Why does he say to people who are listening not to worry? This is so important. Please remember this. If you, if you just wake up right now, just remember this. That Jesus is saying that there is a community of people that are being so shaped by his teachings that if you are struggling to eat, to sleep, to know where you're going to find your next meal, how God's going to provide for you, there is a community of people who are going to be that community. And because I am shaping that community, you do not have to worry. You do not have to worry that I'm developing people who are more generous than you have ever imagined. And as those people are formed, they will provide your needs. They will care for you when no one else cares for you. They will be, Jesus is not saying foolishly pretend it's all going to be magically fixed. He's going to say, I'm forming the people who are going to provide your needs in ways you can't see yet. We are those people. We are those people being formed by the ways of Jesus to care for those who worry and who are in need and who are struggling. And this year, we get to do that together because we decided that our lives are going to be firmly planted on the ways of Jesus. Not just so that our life is more blessed, but that as we are being changed by Jesus, we care for others who are in need, those who are struggling. And some of you are doing that already, and it's such a gift to see that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and they're going to, they're going to do a song that we've done before, and I asked them to, to do this song, and it's, the song is Cornerstone. It's a beautiful song. And this morning, I hope when we sing it, we see it in a new way. It's not just like, oh, it's so great. I hope I have like, you know, more peace this year. I hope like things go well this year. No, no, I, I, I want to be one who decides that in my life, Jesus is going to be seen as a cornerstone because I put his ways first, because I understood that he was calling me to something deeper, because I understood that he was knitting me together, not like a member of a club. This is not a country club. This is a family of people who are different and diverse. And when God starts to bring us together, he's doing something that brings glory to God. That's why in Ephesians, it's called the holy temple. This is what we become. Maybe for you, you feel that just so many other commitments, so many other things, you're nervous, overwhelmed. You're tempted to be like, oh, you know, I'll just sprinkle some Jesus when I get a chance or maybe I'll find some time. It's not going to work. Little resolutions and inspirations along the way are not going to prepare you for the complexities of life. You're going to need to decide today to say my life has to be built on something bigger, something deeper. I think of this story before we sing this song, and it's a story of a bridge. It's a bridge in Honduras, and you'll see a picture of it. It's this bridge that over the years was such an important bridge in this, this community. And, the, and in, in 1998, you know, no, you can go back to the first slide. Just go back. I just want to show you that this is the bridge they were building in 1930, 19, 1960. They, they worked on the bridge and they thought, you know what? We need to prepare this bridge because in this region of Honduras, in the, that region, there was all storms that came and hurricanes came and a lot of water came and they were nervous if this bridge was destroyed. And then a few, a few months ago, I shared this with you know, one of our Bible studies. And the government spent all of this money renovating this bridge and then it happened. In 1998, one of the most brutal storms to ever hit this region happened. And something no one expected. The storm came so strong, and you know what the people said? We built such a good bridge. It withstood the storm in ways we never thought possible. There's only one problem. This is the picture after the storm passed. That actually, the bridge stayed there, but the water moved. And the officials were like, uh, well, this we never saw coming. And they were like, that's great. 
I think for so many people, that's what resolutions are like. You build something, it's firm, it looks great, it's better than everyone else. You're great. And a storm comes, and everything you've built, it's just like, I still feel strong, but I'm not built on what I should have been built on. Life does this to us. It's not just about being ready for the things you're expecting. It's about being ready for the things you don't expect. Anybody can be ready for the things you're expecting. What Jesus says is, what are you going to do when life sends things your way that are so unexpected that even all the good things you've done are not enough? Because you have to understand that life is not built on the good things you do. It's built on the benefits of loving Jesus first. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the gospel of Jesus. That we get to benefit from something Jesus did, not better works of what we're doing. And when you get that, and you realize you're loved in that way, then you start to build your life around those things. Not because you're afraid of a storm, or because God's going to give you a prosperous life, but because you want to fall in love with Jesus and His ways. Trees with deep roots laugh at storms. People whose lives are built on Jesus feel the pain suffering but they realize it's part of the journey when we follow Jesus we're going to sing the song Cornerstone and next week I'll talk about another image before this morning as we sing this song can we just pray in our hearts two things right read the Sermon on the Mount two say Jesus this week as I read that sermon help me to understand what you're calling me to as it relates to having you as the chief cornerstone that how I live my life this year is always going to be measured up against that cornerstone. What you've asked me to do, what you're calling me to, so that I can live in the benefits of what you've done for me. Let's stand as we say. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and And I trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the same.
close your eyes before we pray you imagine Jesus in front of you holding your hands Jesus grabs your hands and he asks you do you love me what do you say What does it look like for you to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, I love you? It's hard to lie to Jesus. What does it mean that he says to you and to I as he holds our, our hands and he says, build your life on my teachings and you will live in the benefits of my love? what he asks us this year to trust him in what he's done and to decide that our lives will be built on his way of life maybe you're here this morning and you've never understood what it means to say I love you to Jesus it sounds weird and hard it's a bit of a process we know We have wonderful people in our prayer space here. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you. Help you just maybe think of a next step for you. Because we all took that step. But this year together, we're going to do this. Because Jesus as the cornerstone is fitting us together for the glory of the Father. And those who love Jesus always want the Father to be glorified. Those who love Jesus always want the Father to be glorified. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we surrender to your ways, to your conviction and your love and your grace. We begin this year, this new series, by thinking about the many options of our world the tips, just a hunger for change that doesn't lead to real transformation. You protect us from the gimmicks, the shortcuts that make us think that we can have your way of life without having Jesus as the cornerstone. Help each of us today in this sacred moment to remember what it meant that you're asking us if we love you. 
and that we need your strength by the power of the Spirit to love you, to be people of the kingdom, to be those who glorify the Father. So today we rest on the assurance and the benefits of Jesus. And we know that those benefits are things we can enjoy because we've surrendered to Jesus' ways. This week as we open the scriptures and as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, would you be at work in a deep way? In our hearts, may you highlight things that we need to give attention to. And may you, by your Spirit, draw us back here again next week and as we prepare to learn our Bible studies and our, and our ministries and our different groups that begin, Father, would you be at work in such beautiful ways so that we would see how you are knitting us together, fitting us together in ways we would have never imagined because you, Jesus, are the cornerstone. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everyone. Thanks for being here. God bless you. If you're here again for the first time, we'd love to say hi. If you're online, we'd welcome you to join us anytime. Pick up your kids. Hug someone you don't know. See you next week.